Hey, everybody. Welcome in. I have Matt Easton. Good morning, everyone. How's it going? to me. So good to see you, Matt. Yeah, it is so good to see you. Thanks for uh, squeezing me in. I know with the holidays Thanks for you squeezing me in. (laughs) If you do not know who Matt Easton is, please buckle in, sit down, pop your popcorn. We have some breaking news that we want to talk about related to Matt Easton and his journey as BYU valedictorian in 2019, the Mormon university that a lot of people attend and that sometimes Mormon leaders like Jeffrey R. Holland go and give speeches that talk about people like my friend Matt here uh, that that uh, don't give the the best interpretations of what he was trying to do in 2019 when he came out as gay during his valedictorian speech. Did a little bit of a media circus. You've been on Ellen. You've been on different you talk know, shows rupaul tosh.0 good morning america the whole nine yards it was a crazy experience yeah, yeah so i'm so lucky to have matt in here we are all really in for a treat his his story is heartbreaking we're going to go through a little bit of his life his stories are literally some of the most incredible interesting uh just articulate explanations of what it's like to be Mormon and queer, trying to hide your, you know, same-sex attraction throughout your life, trying to overcome it, and then what it's like to attend a Mormon university and then come out and have a Mormon apostle with just that that strength and that stature, but be able to call out somebody like Matt, who is just such an absolute and total sweetheart. So thank you guys for being here in this live stream. Thank you. Uh, Matt, for coming in, we're going to talk uh, all about this new breaking news that's a uh, that just just kind of came up in the last. I don't know. You told me last night, and yeah. I said I'm so excited we get to talk about this. So, everybody, welcome in, and I'm so happy you're here. Please uh, leave all of your super chats down below. My name's Kara Burrell, and welcome to the Mormon History Hoedown. All right. So as some of you might be familiar with, there is a church in this state that we live in called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. <laughs> you might be familiar with it. <laughs> and uh, there was a talk given by Elder Holland, as I mentioned, that might, sometimes it's referred to as the musket fire talk. And basically it is, it's a, it's a, it's a painful kind of talk that we'll, we'll progress, progressively get into Um towards the the end of the story but first off tell me matt uh what you texted me last night that is new and breaking and again i i told Matt i went a little hard in the thumbnail this is still allegedly but the sources seem to be i don't know pretty legit so tell me what is going on at byu right now definitely yeah hi everyone um so what i texted kara last night uh i still have you know quite a number of friends in uh, the academic departments at byu and they messaged me just saying, hey, heads up. Like, we know that that uh, the Elder Holland speech obviously had some pretty negative effects on my life and on my psyche. And and they're like, we've, we've been trying to fight it, but uh, it looks like um, as part of the diversity and equity inclusion program at BYU, which which is a good thing, they, they want to help, um, you know, inform students about difficult topics, that uh, it looks like, like all signs are pointing towards BYU um, creating a new required course for all students starting uh, next fall, uh, which will include um, uh, everyone having to read Elder Holland's talk as like part of the curriculum, which is a little bit ironic that it's curriculum for diversity and inclusion. And, and having this talk is just, 
I don't know. So they texted me that it, it is not officially announced yet, but uh, I they're a very trustworthy source. So I know that it's likely to happen unless I don't know, maybe we all band together and, and get that off. Um, but yeah, pretty, pretty difficult to hear because I think that that talk is the antithesis of inclusion or diversity. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can talk about some specific quotes from that talk a little bit later. I want Matt to tell a little bit of his story, but right off the top of your head, can you remember any of those lines that specifically stick out to you as not being inclusive? Because we know that he, <laughs> he kind of starts that talk of like, I weep at a car sales banner opening or like get a baby <laughs> blessing. And I, no one has weeped more for LGBTQ Mormons than I have. And then later in the talk, he basically says the opposite. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was a talk for those who aren't familiar. It was a talk given at the beginning of fall semester in 2021 to all of the faculty um, and uh, um, employees at BYU. So I, I have no idea what that number is, but in the tens of thousands, I'm sure. Uh, so he gives this talk and, and he's saying, um, yes, I weep at all these things. I'm a very like emotional and caring man. Uh, then he goes on to say how he got a letter from a woman who is a member of the church who was really confused at uh, her child being at BYU and seeing all these rainbow flags everywhere and feeling like they couldn't proclaim the truths of, of the family and that they, they felt like they were under attack because of the acceptance, the growing acceptance on campus. Uh, and he said um, he would like a little less, um, what did he say, like like um, a little less kindness and a little more musket fire. He's like, we need in this temple of learning. In yeah. his temple of learning that they li literally, well, not literally, he's figuratively calling for violence, but how do you not equate musket fire to shooting and harassing and attacking people who don't agree with Elder mm -hmm. Holland and the church? Um, he then goes on to give uh, a couple examples of things happening at BYU that he does not approve of and that need to stop immediately. And uh, one of them, he said, is when students commandeer a podium uh, intended for everyone to declare their sexual orientation, um, which he... Who could that be? You're right, yeah. That, uh, uh, and it just so happened that two years previous, uh, I had got up on the podium as valedictorian, uh, given my speech, and uh, in my speech decided to, to say that I was proud to be a gay son of God. Um, uh, ironically, everything I had said was pre-approved by the dean's office at the, the College of Family, Home, and Social Sciences. Uh, so nothing I said uh, was out of line or spontaneous. It had all been pre-approved, pre-planned, and um, it was fully in line with the LDS gospel. I really, truly believe um, I didn't say anything that that would go against what the family of proclamation says. I simply said, I'm gay, and it, it's been really hard for me to accept that, but but I'm I'm proud of it, and I know that God doesn't hate me just because I'm gay. Uh, and and so to hear Elder Holland mischaracterize what I'd done, and then use it as evidence on why BYU uh, as an institution and as individual faculty should not be supportive of LGBTQ people, was just gut wrenching, Kara. Yeah. It just I mean it, it's like everything I'd hoped to do with my speech was now being weaponized uh, in in such um, bad faith lighting. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that I want to get into. It's so important to talk about this and what these BYU freshmen will be re required to read 
And it's, it's so important to kind of start with your story of what it was like for you to go to BYU, to grow up gay in this church and what coming out at your graduation speech meant to you and what you were trying to kind of give to other people who don't feel like they belong. And there's just been such a epidemic with depression, anxiety, suicide, um, people jumping off of buildings at BYU. And Matt is also famous for being in the Hulu documentary, Mormon No More. I am not as famous for being in it, even though I am in it and they cut out all of my segments. <laughs> they did, yes. <laughs> and, and for what it's worth, in the, the last episode, we go to the wedding and they cut this too, but I got to dance with Kara's oh, husband yeah. and he like, uh, he acted as my boyfriend for, for the for the film, which I was so, he's so cute. I was very flattered. If so. you ever need to have a good time, I mean, going to yes. a, a gay wedding of Lena and Sal with oh. a camera crew, with Matt Easton yes. dancing, and then him slow dancing with my husband and a camera crew being in their face. I'm like, it was very tender. Really sweet. <laughs> yeah, they cut that out. But you may uh, absolutely go uh, watch the the Hulu documentary Mormon No More with uh, Lena and Sal. They're also some good ex-Mormon queer friends of ours. And it, there's obviously so many different unique aspects of growing up Mormon and, and queer, but uh, Matt, you have such a, a good articulation on these things and what what that, that scrupulosity means and not being able to grow up in a normative, exploitative way that other people do and feeling like, you know, God can, can change you if you just put in the work and mm. go to BYU and things. So you have any questions for Matt as well, please leave them in the live stream chat and super chats are also amazing as well. And any other places where you want to donate down to keep this podcast sustainable are in the description right now. So like I mentioned, the the Mormon No More, a lot of things have, have come up and changed and giving some, some advocacy to people who might not have a voice and feel alone. It's really important to, to talk about Matt's story. So uh, where do you want to take us next? Should we start at what it's like to to grow up or did do you want to talk about your speech anymore um uh, you're the host I'm, I'm happy to follow through I, I think that um yeah we can begin I I had a pretty normal upbringing in terms of of Mormon upbringings I think I, I grew up here in, in uh, the suburbs of Salt Lake City one of four children I have uh, a big Mormon extended family, though, 24 aunts and uncles, 56 first cousins. I'm sure I'm not the only one uh, watching this who who relates to that. And uh, from a very early age, I knew that I was different than other boys and other kids. Um, I really liked Barbies, which doesn't necessarily mean you're gay, but for me, it did. Uh, I I loved expressing myself in ways that, that weren't uh, typical for young boys, things like dancing, singing, and I learned very early on that those were not okay things to, to do out loud, that I could do them like in my room or when I was with my sisters and no adults, um, but, but it was very easy to tell that, that there were specific requirements for how I should act and what was okay and not okay. And so as I was growing up, um, it, it wasn't long before I began to realize that I had uh, attraction for men. I found them beautiful. I, I was sexually aroused by them. And I knew the moment that I had those feelings or, or I thought I knew that they were wrong. And so my first goal uh, growing up was trying to get rid of them, which the only way I knew how to get rid of them was to become more religious, was to work even harder at church, to pray even harder. Um, and then the second thing I had to do was convince everybody else that I wasn't gay, uh, to do everything I could to hide my shame. Uh, and, and so that's what I did. And, you know, after I've come out, I've learned that I wasn't very successful at that, uh, which I think goes to show that it's just usually not effective to try to hide who you are. Um, but as a part of that, I um, developed 
uh, a type of obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD called scrupulosity. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with that in religious spheres where, where basically I felt that uh, I, I was compulsive about doing everything right and everything perfect for God. And that if anything was not perfect or good in my life, that it was because I wasn't being faithful or righteous enough. So it would be things like, you know, I'm driving down the street when I was 16 on a double date and I felt God tell me that if mm -hmm. I kept driving on this road, I would crash and die. And so I'd have to take a 30 minute detour, like all the way around. Um, and wow. of course, yeah, yeah, it's the yeah. crazy thing about that stuff, though, is that it was um, it was like celebrated and confirmed right. within my religious community where people would say, wow, man, you must be so in tune with the spirit. Like, like follow those promptings. That's so awesome. So amazing. And so when I have those same scrupulous thoughts combined with, with things like I'm still gay because I'm not praying hard enough because I have not confirmed my testimony enough about Joseph Smith, that the religion and the spiritual aspects quickly became like sources of self-punishment for myself mm -hmm. and confirmation that I was not good enough and I was not worthy enough. And, and evidence that if I was still gay and still feeling attraction towards men, that that must mean that I'm not accessing the atonement and that it's my fault, that, that Jesus would help me if only I believed enough. Um, which is like pretty fucked up to get yeah. in your head as a 14 year old, you know? Yeah. And then the thing about scrupulosity that a lot of people misunderstand and the difference between just having like a high amount of spiritual devotion is like in the Mormon stories interview that you did that uh, I was lucky enough to attend. We, we kind of asked donors, this was a late 2021. Yes. We asked donors when I was working there to fly Matt out from where you're getting your PhD at, yeah. at what, UC Berkeley. UC Berkeley, go and Bears. So <laughs> we, we flew him out for the weekend after that Elder Holland talk and had an interview on Mormon stories. And I, just wanted to add that if after watching this, you can go back and watch that, you know, outdated one, but it's still, it's still <laughs> really, really good and and poignant and has so many good uh, stories and things. We won't be able to get into everything, but I remember John DeLynn in that interview talking about how he did part of his PhD study in ideas around scrupulosity and that it's not just, you know, people can look at a religious person and think that they're just, oh, they're being really extra devout and they are so uh, spiritual and they do these things because it brings them closer to God. But when it is, you know, that can happen. But when we're talking about things that have a root within OCD, which is like coping mechanisms and anxiety management, those things are actually really unhealthy. And you would get like a diagnosis in other circumstances. But when you're talking to like daddy God, <laughs> it, it's yeah, celebrated and, exactly. and, and punishing yourself for you know, having gay thoughts and thinking that you can change that. So yeah. And then you, you also were the valedictorian. So you push yourself into academics really hard and getting into BYU. So tell me about what it was like to yeah, go through this scrupulous experience and how you thought that you were going to be able to cure it and what you, what kind of messages were you getting from the church and I don't know where else that you, you thought that you could overcome this. Totally. Th thanks, Carrie. You hit it right on the head. I think that, that, uh, going on my mission and attending BYU were like steps that I truly believed would cure me. And that, that I, I, I entered them in good faith where I thought, okay, I'm going to go on my mission and God will reward me with, with making me not gay if I just serve hard enough. And uh, I went to Sydney, Australia, if any of you have been there. And um, the uh, a hard part about serving your mission as a gay man in Australia is that um, there are 
the men there are very gorgeous. There's lots of surfers, lots of Brazilians. And so I remember being there on my mission and my sexual feelings towards men just increased and really freaked me out. I thought this is the mm -hmm. exact opposite of what I want. I hate myself for feeling this. I, um, you know, got to a, got to a pretty dark place. And um, uh, when my mission president was leaving, he left about three months before I did. Uh, we got to have individual interviews with with all of our mission presidents. And so I walked in and I uh, talked to my mission president. I said, I'm so scared to go back home because uh, mission president, I think I have same sex attraction. And had you come out to anyone up to this point? I had I'd come out to one person, which was my bishop. And, and I'd come out to him because I told him preparing for my mission that I was watching pornography and it was gay. And he, my my bishop had told me, well, have you ever kissed a boy? And I said, no, like, no. And he said, good. Have you ever kissed a girl? And I said, yeah, I have a couple. And he said, well, just never kiss boys and keep kissing girls. So that, <laughs> which Solved I can it. tell you, yeah, it does not work. But um, that was the only advice I'd given, which again, to me was saying, okay, just hold it in, don't let it out and, and keep pretending, keep trying. So I'd been doing that for two years and it still wasn't working. So when I told my mission president, he, um, he gave me a blessing, put his hands on my head and said, uh, Elder Easton, I bless you that from this moment yeah. forward, you will no longer be gay, that you will have sexual feelings for women, that you will be sexually attracted to your wife. He blessed me that I would be a bishop one day, a stake president. And like the saddest part of that, Kara, is I walked out of that, that room feeling like it was the best day of my life. Yeah. That like that daddy God had, had dropped down everything I had ever asked for. And now it was just up to me to like fulfill it. That as long as I believed in the atonement, my mission president, that, that his faith and my faith together, it would come true. So I get to BYU fully intending to be an active member, to marry a woman. I'm dating around and yeah, it's not working for me. I'm not, I'm not feeling attraction sexually to any woman. I'm still feeling attracted to any man. Yeah. Did that work? Uh, yeah. Take a wild guess. It, uh, it absolutely did not. And... These sleeves. Those are heterosexual. <laughs> they get... Yeah. And so I suddenly get to this place at BYU where I'm surrounded by um, like amazing spiritual leaders and, and um, colleagues. And I feel like, like, okay, if it's not working, it's because I don't believe enough. It's because I'm not strong enough for Jesus to help me. And what made you want to go to BYU in the first place? Because I know that question comes up a lot. It does. Yeah. I like a thousand percent chose BYU because I thought I wanted to be in a place where I could be protected from my gayness, where, where I could be around other people. There's not going to be any other gay students there. There's not going to be any temptation to kiss a boy or to try things. I'm, I'm going to find other people who are like-minded. Um, so for me, like I really went to BYU because I thought it would protect me, because I thought it would help me. And and the sad thing is, in many, many aspects, it did the exact opposite. Um, it makes me think of uh, you know, my my second semester at BYU. I was I'm a poli-sci major. I was in intro to international relations. And uh there was one student, some of you may know him, his name is Harry Fisher. He sat right in front of me in this international politics class. Mm -hmm. And um like halfway through the semester, uh, I remember like hearing that he had come out and this was the first like L LDS gay person I ever personally met. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is somebody I know. I, it's so cool. I'm not alone. And um, a week later, he didn't show up to class. 
And like one or two class sessions after that, the professor gets up and says, um, you know, we've lost one of our classmates and um, they've, they've died by suicide. And if you ever need help, come and talk to me. And, uh, you know, it was just a few days later that the news picks it up that Harry Fisher um, died by suicide. He had been harassed by his YSA ward. Um, people like spray painting all sorts of things, to, like like degrading comments on Facebook. Um, and and so he felt he had no other option or, or no other choice. Um, that was really hard for me. I mean, it's it's hard, I'm sure, for any LGBTQ person when, you know, I look at the one role model I finally have in my life, the one person, and um, you know, the the only path that that he saw for himself and, and the path that that his coming out took him to was was death. Mm-hmm. So Kara, I thought, oh, oh my God, like if I ever come out, like that's the only future for me too, that mm-hmm. I've got to bury this and bury it deep because if I ever even try to come out or accept myself, um, that's, that's my future. That's mm-hmm. all that I know and all that any of us knew. Right. There's only a few options for, you know, queer Mormons at BYU, but queer Mormons generally, it's like, you know, conversion therapy, try to make yourself straight, enter into a mixed orientation marriage, marry a woman, stay celibate. And, you know, you can't break the honor code that you enter into at BYU that you promise to keep the law of chastity on top of already your Mormon covenants, your temple covenants. And there's, there's just not a lot of really good options. And sometimes, yeah, yeah queer students and the members of the LGBTQ plus community in Mormonism, they just don't feel like they have yeah that that space and those options. So I know that story is always really emotional to get into, but I think it's super important to share. So thank you for talking about Harry Fisher and the like we mentioned the documentary uh, on Hulu. Mormon yeah. No More does a great piece um, on that Matt tells about the story with pictures and things. And you actually gave your tell tell us a story about how yeah. you met with Harry Fisher's dad. Yeah, that actually was really amazing. It um. When I graduated, uh, everyone gets to wear like a stole of honor. It's it's like this thick ribbon, and and the idea is that you dedicate it to somebody uh, who helped you graduate, helped you get there. And and so when I was deciding who to to like honor with my stole, I decided to write Harry's name on the back of my mm-hmm. stole because I thought, you know, Harry, like you didn't get the chance to graduate, but I did, you know, and and he was a part of helping me graduate because. Without him, you know, maybe I would have never found myself or 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 tried to to make a future for other LGBTQ students. And so it was really special for me to walk on that stage with Harry's name. And um, it, it took uh, a year and a half, but I finally got in touch with Harry's dad and family. I got to meet them and, and give them the yeah. stole. And um, it was it was really, really special. And so that part, I'm, I'm so grateful for Harry. I, I never want to stop saying his name mm-hmm. um, because uh, he's he's the reason I think so many of us are fighting so that it doesn't happen again. We don't want anyone ever to feel like how Harry must have felt. Yeah, so courageous and doing what you did at your graduation speech as well. People, I think, don't really quite understand what your mindset was growing up and feeling so isolated and alone. I, I remember you saying on the Mormon Stories interview that you felt like yeah, like kind of like you mentioned just now that if I go to BYU, I will be the only queer person there. <laughs> Come to find out that there's been a survey, the most recent survey, I think, done by Encircle says that 13.8% of BYU students identify as not straight. And for, for Elder Holland's talk and other rhetoric coming out of the church that is, yeah, just 
so uh, anti-inclusive when they're I just yeah pushing so many people whether further in the closet further into anxiety depression suicide and it's just so interesting that you yourself believed when you went to BYU as I understand it yeah. that you you would you would be the only person that was even queer there I know it's like funny to, to think that now, but I really like did that weird. And I think it's because at least during my time at BYU, I was there from 2016 to 2019. Um, the, the, the campus did a really good job of making sure we didn't find each other of not allowing USGA or other LGBTQ clubs on campus on making sure that we felt really like threatened and scared um, that we could be caught at any point. And so finding other queer people, you know, I managed, to do it at BYU. Some of my best friends um, are, are gay when we were at BYU, but we had to be very, very careful and very secretive about the Instagram photos we posted or the tweets that we made. And it was so difficult because in these moments, we were still young. I was 21 years old trying to figure out who I am um, under like a very restrictive um, um, institution. And so it's not that I was at BYU and decided one day, oh, I'm going to, you know, have sex with men and I'm going to put my middle finger to, to BYU. It was it was grappling with these feelings of is my sexual orientation wrong or is it not wrong? While I'm thinking, do I believe in God or not God? While on top of it, I'm like, OK, I'm the number one in my class right now. I'm doing really well. I'm creating a great future for myself. And if I step out of line, I could lose it all, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so. It's frustrating when when a lot of people say, well, why didn't you just leave BYU? Why why did you stay there? It's because it's it's not a linear path for myself. And my understanding from uh, many of my friends is, is very few of us have a linear path of, okay, I've decided I'm gay. I decided I'm not Mormon. I'm deciding I'm leaving BYU. It's like a, a back and forth and a mixture. And and like to be quite frank, I just didn't have the resources to move either. It's It's really difficult to pick up when you're a junior or senior and, and completely change uh, uh, colleges, you then have to explain to your family and you're still not sure yourself, or at mm -hmm. least for me, I still wasn't sure. And you were on a full scholarship too. I was on a full scholarship. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, and so, yeah, it's difficult. And, and that was part of the joy I felt like when I um, found out I was valedictorian is that I, I realized, okay, like BYU doesn't like, shouldn't just tolerate us. They need us. Like, look, they're the top performer, one of the best, uh, like not to toot my own horn, but I contributed a lot to my department. Mm -hmm. I helped with research. I got involved in the community and, and BYU needs students like that. They need every perspective and voice because that's what makes departments and education better. And, and so when I, uh, was given the, the opportunity to speak, when they told me you'll be giving the graduation talk, I thought I, I have a really special opportunity here um, not just for myself and not just for Harry Fisher, but for all the other LGBTQ students who were listening to this talk to say, hey, listen, like you're needed here and you're valuable and and we we can be valedictorian. We can be uh, whatever we want and BYU is better for it, not worse off. And and we need to let them know that so that they don't think that that they're that that we're the lucky ones to get to go to BYU. They're the lucky ones that get to have us. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted you to tell me a little bit about what your dating experiences were like, because oh. as I mentioned, it's just BYU. It's such a school that has people dating and marrying and kissing girls and all of those things that your friends are doing. And so I know you were still 
trying to date girls and keep up appearances for a, a lot of the time. You'd only come out to what, just a handful of friends and family before this speech in 2019 before you graduated, right? Yeah. So like, it's pretty much on the DL as the DL gets, right? <laughs> Very much so. Still dating yeah. girls. But then tell me about your experiences uh, when you went to the, the South Korea story. Yeah. And, and that's stay tuned for this. And then downloading some apps when you got home and starting to explore and test out these waters. Yes. Yeah. I, um, so I served my mission in Australia. I was Korean speaking. So, uh, the first year after my mission, a year of BYU down, um, I went to Korea for about a month, uh, with one of my old mission companions, which was so awesome. I love Korea. Uh, it was, was a, so it was a male. It was, mission, a, yeah, it was companion, a male, my mission companion. But you guys yeah. are just friends. Just friends. Yes. Yeah. He's a great guy. Um, we were just friends. Um, so we went to Korea for a few weeks. I've met with like some investigators I had taught and people I baptized. And um, my, I, I, my, I told everyone there. I mean, I was, I'm like a little goopy. So I was like, I, you know, I really want to kiss a girl while I'm here in Korea. Like, can any of you hook me up with one of your like Korean like friends and. And everyone there was like, no, not really. If you want to do that, you have to go out dancing. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to go out dancing to Hongdae. Going to go meet a cute girl, kiss a Korean girl. My mission companion was like, well, not my companion anymore, but my friend. He was like, you go do that, but I'm going to stay home. That's not my scene. So I went out myself, went out dancing, um, completely sober, which to think about that now is really funny. But <laughs> yeah, I was just having a blast dancing. I met a cute Korean girl. We started kissing and, um, you know, I felt nothing. I was like, okay, this, this was like fun, whatever. I think I'm ready to go. So I left the club, got a taxi. And as we're taxiing back to uh, the hotel, we're passing Itaewon, which is the, the gay district of Korea. And I'd known that because of course I like looked it up on, on Google before and I was thinking about it, but wasn't serious about ever trying to go. Yeah. But in that You're a good Mormon boy. Right? I, yeah, yeah. Really trying to fight those those curiosities. But as we're passing Itaewon, I think, okay, uh, this is I'm across the world. Nobody knows who I am. I'm all by myself. If there's ever a time just to see what gay people are like, it would be right now. So I I told the taxi driver, actually, could you drop me off in Itaewon? I get out and I'm thinking, okay, I'm just gonna go walk into a gay bar and I just want to see what it's like. Maybe like talk to another gay person, but but that's it. That's it. So I walk into um, one of the bars. I see this cute Korean boy. And within like three minutes, we're kissing. And Kara, it was like the most electrifying feeling in the world. Yeah. It was like your first gay kiss. My first gay kiss ever. And it was amazing. It was like my body was on fire and I my fingers were tingling. I was having so much fun. I was aroused. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is what kissing is supposed to be like. This is all my friends in high school when they just wanted to kiss. This is what it was like. This is what I'm supposed to be At the feeling. age of what? At the age of 21. Yeah, at the age of 21. And immediately after that kiss just came this like overwhelming guilt. And this, like, it felt like the world was falling in on top of me because, I mean, I was wearing my garments. I felt like I had defiled my temple covenants I had broken my promise with God and I might as well be sent to hell now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was all over, over a kiss. That's how I felt. Right. And so, you know, I ended up going back to my hotel and like crying in the street till like five in the morning. I couldn't even face, oh, face my friend. Yeah. And it, yeah. And it's like, nobody should have to feel that way. It was so innocent and, and in some ways wholesome, you know, I got to experience what everybody has a right to experience and I, I couldn't enjoy it because I felt, um, like, like I was condemned by God. 
Right. It was, yeah. So I don't know. I did that. I got back to BYU and like recommitted myself to God, recommitted myself to the honor code. Um, But like, once you start kissing people, it's hard to like stop wanting to kiss them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I start exploring on the apps. I get on Tinder. I like download it. um, Then like have it for a day, then delete it, wait a week, do it again. And what I started noticing is that, oh my gosh, there's like lots of BYU people, like gay men on Tinder and on Grindr and all these different apps. And, and that's when I really started realizing, okay, Harry and I, we aren't alone. You know, there are actually lots of us. And, and so I started like experimenting, um, you know, hooking up with guys, maybe going on a date here or there. Um, but it was, again, not linear. It was a lot of trying that feeling so guilty and wanting to like throw up mm-hmm. and, and, and back and forth and back and forth. And, um, one summer, it was like a year later after Korea, I was living at my parents' house in Salt Lake. And I told my YSA Bishop, I was like, I've been kissing boys. I feel so guilty. And he said like, thank goodness you've never done anything overtly sexual, like no, like hand jobs or blow jobs. He's like, cause then we'd have to do a disciplinary council. But because it was just kissing, like he was like, don't take the sacrament for the summer and you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And so it was like my, my experience in, in understanding my sexuality is moored by all of these experiences of like being brought back to the gospel and like reeled back in with just enough like hope and encouragement that like, I can do it. I can be straight. I can kiss girls. I can try hard. And it, it was just not sustainable, Kara. It, 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 for everyone, everyone I've ever talked to, it doesn't work out for them. Even if it's weeks, months, or years, it's, it's, I have yet to meet someone that is sustainable for. Yeah. And especially when you're talking about the scrupulosity things, when I listen to your Mormon stories interview, and I've talked to you and other queer people who are really super devoted to the gospel, what it looks like is a devotion to the gospel. But what I, what I'm always kind of gathering is that it's just a cover for this anxiety that shouldn't be there in the first place. If they would just be accepted that like their devotion to the church is, yeah, it's just born out of coping mechanisms and trying to double down thinking they need to be changed, but it's not actually coming from like this, this righteous place where it's like, I love God. I know he loves me back and I want to serve him, serve in the community. It it comes from this like heightened anxiety yeah, that's exactly what it is. And and it's all too common. I mean, it's common for gay people. It's common for straight people. Totally. It's I, I think that the the high demand religion, the aspect of it just it breeds scrupulosity and, and then it rewards, rewards it. Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, you know, I wanted to ask then uh, it's kind of dangerous to download those types of apps at BYU. So. Uh, what was your, your thinking that like, if you were going to get caught or something, if people found you on yeah Tinder or something and saw, Oh, Matt Easton of BYU, I'm going to go turn him in. Did that cross your mind? Were you fearful? Totally. It did. Totally. did. I mean, every time I downloaded grinder in the back of my mind, I would think of Dallin H Oaks when he was president of BYU and he would send like, there was literally a class at BYU where people could sign up to entrap gay people. They'd go to like public restrooms where gay men would cruise and they would try to like solicit BYU students. They'd drive up to Suntrap, which is a gay bar in Salt Lake, write down the license plates and like cross cross test them with any license plates registered at BYU. I mean, so there's there's like a, a, an institutional wow. history of, of entrapment of gay people. Um, so there were like a couple rules, at least at, at my time that everyone would follow. One, don't show your face. Um, so you always have plausible deniability. Two, 
uh, there was like a feeling of mutually assured destruction. As long as like the other person is Mormon or gay or discreet, then you know that if they turn you in, you can turn them in. But even with that, there was still an inherent risk, you know, and um, I had a, a close friend of mine at BYU um, who was uh, solicited for a hookup. He said that he didn't want to. And then the person said, if you don't sleep with me, I'm going to turn you into to BYU. And this person wasn't wasn't Mormon or, or BYU, but he was living in Provo, um, which is so fucked up. You know, that's that, that's um, sexual uh, uh, what's exploitation. Exploitation. Yeah. And so the highest you know, degree. Wow. I was fortunate not to experience that. But the people around me are, you know, and, and we can't we felt like we couldn't go talk to uh, any authorities. We couldn't talk to the police because they're going to tell BYU police and then they're going to tell our bishop and then we're going to get kicked out. I mean, it was it was a really dark and lonely place. And 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 no wonder every year I was at BYU, I lost um, a, a queer friend to to suicide every single fucking year. I mean, it like like clearly something has to change. And I feel like time and again, the church and BYU wants to put the onus on students, wants to put the responsibility on 20 somethings like myself, who we don't know who we are. We're, we're trying the best we can and there are no tools to help us. Um, and, and so like, it's not, not a surprise that so many people are led to that, that same outcome. Mm -hmm. So sad and unfortunate. Uh, tell me about the, I know that there's a story where you started to do some experimentation the story about drinking some alcohol in <laughs> in an airport once and then being turned into the honor code office. Yes. Because yes. if you don't know at BYU, you have to sign this document, all freshmen, you just to, to be able to attend this private religious university, promising to obey all of these different commandments to a higher degree than if you were just Mormon and that, yeah, your, your diploma could be taken away. You have to, would have to transfer schools, be put on like academic probation. There's so many, just for the facial hair that he has right now, but I, I mean, you know, <laughs> so, uh, just you're doing a lot of normative things that you would expect college students to do. And you're just, you know, wound so tightly that even a, a drink of alcohol or kissing a boy can change the course of your entire life. And look how academic and smart he is. <laughs> Obviously, it's like. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, so once I kissed a boy, I felt like I committed the greatest sin. And so alcohol um, and like other substances obviously are not great, um, but I still felt, okay, if I've done the worst thing, if I've broken the law of chastity by kissing a boy, I could probably see what drinking is like. Um, and, and that's actually not uncommon at BYU. I would say people keep it under wraps, but like we're all in college, we're trying to figure out who we are and what we like. So, you know, I, I started drinking here and there. Um, you know, I went up to Suntrap once or twice and had drinks and met boys. And, um, one summer, like, uh, it was after my sophomore year. So 2017, um, I was with a friend who was also a BYU student. We tried, um, uh, uh, drink at a, an airport over the summer. I had a vodka pineapple, <laughs> um, which is a great drink. If any of you need to ease into drinking, try that. Um, but long story short, my friend had also drank a few months later. She felt guilty about it, told her bishop. The bishop said, for you to fully repent, you have to turn in your friend to the honor code. So she went to the honor code and turned me in. And so I got called in out of the blue my junior year. Um, and they said, like, someone has come forward and said that you were drinking. Um, do you deny it? And I said, no, I, I was, I broke the honor code. Um, and then they said, well, because you're a return missionary and because you were turned in, um, you're going to be put on probation. You're on like a, the more serious outcome. Whereas my friend, 
um, because she turned herself in, uh, she was not put on probation. And so I, uh, uh, because of that, I was on probation for six months, uh, which means that uh, every class I added, I had to be approved. I uh, went on a summer summer internship to uh, the United Nations in Switzerland. I lost my full scholarship for that because uh, it was school funding, um, which like I understand I broke the honor code, uh, but but that was not the end of it. That, those weren't just the consequences. I had to meet with my bishop weekly. So I had to do that while I was in Switzerland as well. I had to see a therapist weekly. This was like school mandated therapy. I had to keep a daily scripture yeah. journal that I had to go then turn into the honor code officer. I um I had to do three hours of service every week and get them signed off. Um, and like all of this just for like one drink of alcohol. Um, and to be completely on, oh, and I had to go to devotional every week. I forgot about that. Devotional every week and write an essay on it every single week. While so getting this, a 4.0. Well, so this is like this is like a six credit course over six months for one drink of alcohol. And to be honest, it actually like hardened me against the church and and it did not do its intended purpose which was to make me stop drinking if anything i was like well fuck this school i'm gonna drink more you know it just i felt like you know maybe if 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 the honor code office had tried to understand what brought me there or the struggles i was having right or asked me like what would i feel like could help rectify or or like get me to sign the honor code again um that would have been like miles better than the punishment that they inflicted on me um, and, and also at that point, you know, I'm a junior, I'm about to graduate. I looked like I could be valedictorian. And so again, I didn't want to leave and, and I recognized I, I did break the honor code. And, and so I owned that. Um, but you know, I, I signed the honor code, but I didn't sign to like to be gay and I didn't sign to be Mormon. And I didn't sign to have to figure all of this out with all of these external and internal pressures. And so that's a really important <laughs> point. If I, we can just expand on that, that. Matt, what you're saying is like, yeah, you signed the honor code, but you don't really know what your psychological yeah, uh, degradation is going to be by putting yourself in these circumstances. You, like you mentioned, you sign, you go up to BYU because you think this is where God will cure you from your gayness. You have this blessing from your mission president. You really think that this is going to help you. And all of the signs and signals from the church is that, you know, anything can be overcome through the atonement and power of Jesus Christ. And God doesn't make mistakes, all that kind of language leading you to believe that, that you would be able to get through this, but yeah, you can sign the honor code, but you can't sign up for things that are so out of your control by just the sexuality that you're born with and the, the scrupulosity and the, the fear and the pain and the harassment that, that comes, you don't know what that's going to be like. You didn't sign up to, you know, watch a classmate take their own life and the kind of things, the ideas that are going to come through your head. So I wish that that was something that more, you know, faithful LDS people could get the people who have been so critical of you coming out during your speech to try to stand up for everybody in the, the queer community at BYU that feels unrecognized that like, they don't sign up for this. <laughs> they don't sign, nobody signs up for this and they just are doing their best. And it's not just this agenda pushing situation. I'm like, obviously Matt's a total sweetheart yeah, and, and, and it wasn't this, this selfish idea. It's like, it was completely selfless and in, in so many ways, trying to, to do what he thought was right to make your family happy, fulfill these covenants, fulfill what you thought God wanted from you. So thanks Kara. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, the funniest, well, maybe not the funniest, but a funny part is, um, because I broke the, the honor code. I got a little dot on my uh, um, 
uh, transcript that says that I broke the code of honor, which usually for every other university in the world, that means that you plagiarized or you cheated or you did something really egregious. So when I applied to grad school in every single application, I had to write a separate paper explaining why I had like the code of honor broken and that it was just for a vodka pineapple. <laughs> and so like, thankfully at Berkeley, my professors are much more understanding. Every time we have like a department social, that's the drink they give me, <laughs> which, is, know, which is pretty nice, but I'm pretty lucky because not all schools are going to be understanding of that. You know? Yeah. And I want to talk more about that as we get into what the freshman's required reading is going to be. And people who sign up to go to BYU, it's becoming a lot more looked down on to graduate from BYU and having You'd think that this polygamist governor of Utah having his name on your on your diploma and applying to jobs would that already be a problem. But yeah. BYU is becoming more and more increasingly known for these types of things. And it's going to put call into question, you know, do I want to hire this person who chose to go to BYU if they're still faithful in this church? What kind of rhetoric uh, did they digest? And is this type of person I want working at my company for, you know, all these different reasons? So uh, another thing that I uh, wanted to ask you about yeah. was a new breaking thing that has to do with the vodka pineapple. And yes. <laughs> so Matt and I have had so much fun together over the years yeah. and like at Lena and Sal's wedding, sharing a joint together. It's adorable and it fun. Was the best. And yes. you go actually to my Patreon, patreon.com slash nuance. you can watch an exclusive oh. video that we made together I forgot where we that. like, it's like 15 minutes long and we had so much fun at Lena and Sal's wedding so and fun. we just let it all hang out and talk about everything. everything. I was like, I should not be posting this. It's going to be private just for my Patreon supporters, but it was so much fun. And me and Matt were talking about how when you were at BYU and you found this close <laughs> group of friends who I've met and they're, they are amazing yeah. and they got you through a lot of those hard times. What were some of the ways in which you had to cope in at BYU? Tell that story. <laughs> he's never told this story. Before, I've never told so this story. Funny. Mom and dad, if you're listening, well, I, at this point, it's okay. I'm an open book, but um, you might not like this. I, yeah, dealing Sex with... Sex with men and then everything else should be up from there. Come <laughs> oh, on. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I, um... Yeah, as a like a, a top performing student, I I really like like leaned into my schoolwork because I thought the rest of my life is shit. At least I'm going to be good at school. Um, but with my OCD and scrupulosity really flaring up during like the second half of my time at BYU, um, I found that like one of the only ways I could cope that I could manage was by smoking weed. And so, <laughs> you know, uh, a few times a week I would toke up out my window and. Um, just calm down a little bit. And so, you know, I've got to say thank you, marijuana, for, for getting me my 4.0. I don't think I could have done it without it. And you told me that you're like some of the best papers that I wrote that I got like awards on. I was high AF when I wrote those. <laughs> yes, the Mary Lou Fulton conference, every poster I submitted. Uh, yeah, I was very stoned when I made it. It was and so funny. And when you told me that, it made me so happy because I just, as you talk about these things and all of the pain that you went through, and I'm like, I'm so glad that Matt was able to at least smoke a little bit of weed and, and release that anxiety while at BYU. Nobody had to know and still got your 4.0 and like, oh, Absolutely. give yourself a break, kid, you know? Oh, thanks, Kara. Yeah, thank, thank goodness that Vegas was not too far away. <laughs> so yeah. the, the marijuana was able to help and nobody had to know really about that. But I'm so happy that you were able to find yeah, a good group of friends who are understanding yeah. and a little bit of a, a queer community at BYU. So is there anything yeah. else that you want to say about the community at BYU um, before we talk about what led into 
being chosen as the valedictorian of your department, being chosen to speak? Yeah, no, I think I think that's mostly it. I mean, I, I do want to say, like, I know that BYU has changed a lot since I've been there. I, I still got a long way to go, um, but there is the queer voices there are louder. There's like at least student led initiatives to help uh, students like myself to find each other, um, which is amazing. It's amazing to see that the community stands up even when the institution uh, is is still being cowardly, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah, I'd love to talk more about that. Uh, that's a that's what we're going to need if this mandated speech talk by Elder Holland is put into the you know curriculum, the mandatory reading for freshmen. So I just wanted to read this comment. It says, this guy is oh. such a beautiful person. I'm so sorry that you had this experience. Jesus loves you straight up with no hesitation. Oh, thank you so much. Jesus loves you too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the aspects of your time at BYU revolve a lot around keeping your sexuality hidden. So you, uh, obviously, you know, famously came out during your speech. Tell me about what it was like putting that into words and what made you feel like that was the time that you wanted to do it. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a tough choice. I, so at my college graduation, there were seven departments, so seven valedictorians. So, um, there was only one speaker. And so I thought, you know, there's a one out of seven chance I could be asked to speak. Um, and, and so I thought, well, if, if I get chosen, maybe I, maybe I should come out. I thought, you know, part of me was worried. I was graduating. I still wasn't out to my family. I wasn't out in my life. And I thought if I, if I don't come out intentionally, maybe I could stay in the closet forever. Maybe I'm going to move to Salt Lake and and keep pretending some, I'm something that I'm not. And so I kind of made that goal for myself with the thought that like, I'm not going to be chosen to speak. Yeah. And, and then lo and behold, I was, and I was like, oh shoot, now I have to keep this promise to myself. So I I thought, okay, I have to get it approved two weeks in advance by the Dean. I'm, I'm going to work it in my speech, uh, see what the Dean says. If the Dean doesn't approve it, I'm not going to push it. I understand. Um, but I'll, I'll kind of let, let BYU decide is what I thought. So I wrote the speech. Um, I kept it like, like when I submitted the speech, I literally uh, in like the word doc, I highlighted every part and left like scriptures and talks about. You're not why trying to get away with it. You're not trying exactly. to. Exactly. I wasn't one. trying to sneak it in. I was being very explicit for the like coming out as gay. I like ironically now I I cited Elder Holland's like choir of God talk where I said we're all members of the choir. Every voice needs to be heard. Um, so I really I I was not trying to be sneaky at all, and I submit it. I get it back the same day from the dean. He says, read your speech. It's beautiful. Thank you for highlighting all the parts. So like he saw the highlights and he said it was okay. So then I was like, oh my gosh, this is happening. I'm, I'm like, gotta, I'm going to do this. And, and that got scary, but in a good way. I thought, I know that I want to come out. I know that I want to help other queer students. And like anyone else who's upset or bothered by it, like that's their problem. So I did not think it was going to go viral, Kara. I, I thought maybe maybe the Desnats on Twitter would pick it up and like rip me apart. Maybe the Trib would write something about it. But that was the extent of what I thought. And and so um, when I gave my speech that day, I was so surprised, first of all, that when I, when I came out and I said that I am proud to be a gay son of God, um, that there were cheers in this audience. You know, there were 10,000 people there and I thought there was going to be dead silence. And instead... I thought, oh my gosh, these people are excited for me. They're happy that I get to like, yeah. speak my truth of who I am. And um, that was so surprising and so amazing. Um, 
afterwards, I, I, I gave this speech. It was so wonderful. I um, hung out with my friends and my family after my, my siblings were, it was the first time I told my siblings. Um, and they, of, of course, were not surprised, uh, but they were really supportive and, and it was really wonderful. Um, somebody posted it on Twitter and it started gaining traction. I got a lot of like positive support uh, and then the negative stuff, which comes. Um, but then the next day I woke up and I was getting phone calls and emails from like every news station across the United States, which was so wow, surprising. Yeah. My parents called me and they're like, somebody's knocking on our door. My cousin, whose last name is Easton, who lives in Arkansas, he was getting calls and knocks on his door. I mean, it was, that was the first moment where I thought, okay, this is like a little bit bigger news than I thought it was going to be. Um, so I started doing like local news interviews. Um, John Delaney reached out to me, but I was still like, like fairly Mormon at that point. So I thought he's too edgy for me. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it was really fun and really overwhelming all at once where suddenly um, the spotlights on me, people are asking about like my biggest insecurities, my, my fears, what, how I understand myself. Um, but it was, it was really fun in a lot of ways. It was like for anyone who's gone viral before, or if you ever do like, like it can be very emotionally draining. I'm sure you know as well. I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, your time's coming, Kara. Your time's coming. Um, so I was really lucky. I had two of my best friends. Shout out to Connor and Sam. They, um, I gave them all my passwords to my email and my social media. I said, would you please manage this for me? Like filter out the bad stuff. Just send me the good stuff, um, which was the best thing I could have done, I think, because um, like some of the hate I was getting, you know, people like wanting to hurt me or kill me or it, it just... It, it's it's like one message like that outweighs like 15 messages that are positive. I totally. Yeah. Um, what were some of the responses that you were getting along the lines of, you know, the, the reasons that you were doing it, pushing an agenda? What were some of those comments that you were getting? Yeah. The number one I got is like, that was so selfish. It was not the place to do it. People would like hide behind this thing of um, we don't hate gay people. We just hate that you did it at a place where it's supposed to be meant for everyone. Because they would say like a heterosexual person doesn't come out as heterosexual. We yes. don't talk about our sexuality without like actually taking Matt's words as they were that like the, the exact language that you said was just basically one sentence that I understand. <laughs> one it was, say it for me. It's like, I understand that I am. I'm, uh, I'm proud to be a gay son of God. Yeah. Boom. Anything it, else? Yeah. Yeah. No, nothing else. Nothing. And else. like how you being, you know, in this identity that, so many people think that like you could change is something that is, you know, not an immutable characteristic or whatever. So the, yeah. the ability for you to say that in such a public venue, uh, people got angry that that's not the time and place. It's other people's graduation too. But if people just look at Matt and what, what we just like, listen to his story, what he was going through, the things that he felt, the suicidal ideation, people, like I said, at BYU, while you were there, jumped off of a building to end their own life. Like some very serious things yeah. happened just at your time there. And have obviously impacted this person who is still saying like, you know, I love BYU. I love my time here. I'm still <laughs> faithful, but I need to speak up and let you know that I believe I'm a loved child of God. I believe that if you are gay, you're a loved child of God too. Like totally. don't, don't feel the things that I felt. I will be the first. If nobody else has told you it's okay to be gay. I've felt this weight for too long. Like, I really think it's pretty simple. If people would just like, listen to what you were trying to get across, but the opposite messages kind of came out that you were selfish. And yeah. that if, like, if you just listen to people go in with a curious, empathetic heart, 
So uh, how did those, yeah, how did those things affect you? Or were you able to just uh, know that you were going on the Ellen show? Tell that story <laughs> yeah, and it was yeah. all right. It's, it was, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Screw the haters. Screw he, the hate. That's right. He's here on the Onso's couch now. Everything worked <laughs> I've out. made it. I've made it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, like just for what it's worth, people talk about their heterosexuality in every graduation speech. They mention their wife yeah. or their child or their date. I mean, it's like speeches are supposed to dwell on like personal experience. So that's, that's like a, a dumb argument in my opinion. Um, but, but yeah, you're right. Screw the haters. They're going to hate what they want to hate. And more amazing was I had so many people reach out like, like, uh, there was a, a faithful trans member in DC who said, I've never told anyone that I'm wow. actually a woman. And I, I'm, I can say that to somebody or, you know, I, I had a, a missionary in Peru. She reached out to me and said, I think I'm a lesbian. And I never knew that there were other gay people in the, I mean, it was, it was so empowering where I thought, this is the point. This is why I did it. And I will take any negative comment for the rest of my life. If it means I could help these people. And yeah, um, that's, what's so sweet and sincere about it. Cause it's truly, it's, it's not selfish. If somebody else did that, while you were a freshman, like what would have that meant to you? And if you were able life. to find find those communities, if you can just save one person's life. And as I mentioned in the, the Mormon Stories interview, I got really emotional and upset because I'm like, hey, BYU, has everyone ever like taken their life because the campus was like, you know, too gay? <laughs> like any straight person was like, oh my gosh, I feel so ostracized <laughs> right now. No, it's, it's this thing that we when I was a conservative and I've gone and tried to empathize and understand other perspectives, it's like, you know, how, how does it feel? Put yourself in somebody else's shoes and not, people are trying their absolute hardest and just square peg round hole in a system that won't fix. I'm like, does it make you as a straight person? Does it make you want to take your life? No. All right. Calm down. Listen to Matt's story. <laughs> understand what it means for people in this community. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. That means a lot to, to hear that. And, and I think it's so true. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I had a couple days of interviews and, and different things popping up. Sorry, excuse me. And then uh, I think it was Monday morning. The talk was on a, a Thursday or a Friday. It was Thursday. And then on Monday, I can email saying, hi, Matt. My, my name is Michelle. I'm, I'm a producer at The Ellen Show. We heard your story and we we're wondering if you could FaceTime really quickly. So I'm like, is this is this real? Is this real? So I hop on the FaceTime. They she had just barely kind of gotten canceled a little bit, though, hadn't she? Was not it, yet. Not it yet? Canceling had not happened yet. Okay. I promise. It had not happened yet. She was still she, everyone's sweetheart. The Dakota Fanning or, or the Dakota Johnson thing had not happened yet. Okay. But, uh, yeah. So, so she tells me they're interested in my story. I hop on a FaceTime. They're like, we might want to have you like Skype in or, or maybe fly you out. We, we want to get a sense first. So I kind of, I went through like several rounds of interviews where I think they wanted to make sure I could like talk, I guess, you know, I wasn't going to say something crazy. And so they're like, stand by, stand by. Um, then the next day I like, uh, again, at, at about nine or 10 in the morning, they call me and they say, can you head to the Salt Lake airport right now? And so I packed a little bag, went to the airport with my friend Connor. He came as my, my plus one. Um, they flew us out. They picked us up in this like fancy limousine, took us to a hotel. And within 24 hours, I was backstage at the Ellen show, um, which was so exciting and so like far beyond my wildest dreams, what I ever could have expected. Um, so they put me like in a little green room. Uh, and uh, you might not know this, but I didn't know this at the time. A lot of those talk shows, they'll film three or four at the same time. And so they were filming three that day and I was the last segment at the end of the day. So I spent probably five hours in this green room and they were like, you cannot leave the green room. Don't go wa wandering around or we'll cancel your segment. And they were very strict. Um, 
but but yeah they finally called me out and i didn't get to meet ellen until i was walking out and to be honest i kind of blacked out it was so so amazing exciting i don't really remember talking with her but so thank goodness they recorded it um and it, it was so amazing to be with you know she, like ellen obviously has her her like issues and has done some like some bad things and she is like a, a pioneer for lgbtq rights she was she came out in the 90s and, and lost her career for a long time and yeah that can't be understated right like that's so important that yeah. she was especially if you're not as old as me in my 34 year old state which i just remembered i was in my mid-30s last night but anyway no. that yeah the the 90s and things were very different even back then and people that don't remember i remember being a kid and what a big deal it was for like her and lance bass like yeah. to come out as gay on the cover of like people magazine to come out and lose her tv show and so it's insane that you know you went straight from like not knowing what this would what would happen at the graduation speech and how it would be received to just like the Ellen show, just like the pinnacle of like queer coming out <laughs> success. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Like, and that's so everything about Ellen aside, like, I'm just so like proud of your, your courage to be able to do that. Mm. And it, it was so recognized. I hope everyone watching this can recognize it. Not just Ellen's for her. Like we all recognize that this is such a, uh, the, the, gay movement so there's so many yes. so many people need to feel seen and heard and there's just so many people at, at, along that journey and ellen was that for some people matt easton is that yeah. for a lot oh, of people too thanks yeah well, i think i love what you said about this this like movement and being a part of it because i think one thing i, I do really want to highlight how i feel about my coming out is that it was it was like one drop in in a bigger wave in a bigger movement and that you know, I, I was the one that came out in my speech. If it hadn't been me, I'm sure it would have been someone else further along. And, and you know, we have people like Charlie Bird, the BYU mascot, or, um, you know, uh, Dan, Dan Bam Bam. He's like a TikTok star. Mm -hmm. He's a BYU, he was a BYU student that just came out uh, not too long ago. I mean, I think that... Jill? Yeah, Jill. Yes. Yeah. Oh my. How could I forget her? My fellow graduation. Yes. She made out with a girl on my couch in my house. Oh, I love it. I was I was so heartbroken because right after I left Mormon Stories, she was like the first person who like came like the week after I left. And I was like, oh, I wanted to meet her. <laughs> and then I met her at Lena and Sal's uh, like bridal party shower. Yeah, yes. And I was like, this girl is so dope. And we had a great. So anyway, she's been gay in my house. I'm so oh, happy. Like, you are, you are oh. so lucky. You are so like, yes. And that's that's the only point. I mean, she's done amazing. And, and like people since then i'm sure that there are students now at byu who will continue to change the current and who are fighting hard and and they're doing things that i never could have when i was there at byu and and that's what's amazing and i think that's what scares the church so much is that they can't control it that even even their you know most scrupulous like like devout members such as myself being able to find myself and come out like they, they can't stop anyone. And, and that's part of the reason why I think Elder Holland two years after I came out, gave, gave his speech, um, was because they're trying like unsuccessfully to, to rein people in and it's going to be unsuccessful. I think it's going to be painful and they're going to keep fighting and they're going to keep failing. Yeah. That leads into yeah, this perfect discussion about the church basically doubling down on Elder Holland's musket fire talk is kind of what we call it. And yeah, it came out two years uh, after you gave your graduation speech. And I can pull up some quotes right now, but I don't have a producer. So if anyone in the chat wants to pull up what quotes you think are relevant to this discussion in a second, I can throw them on screen and we can talk about them. So 
like you just mentioned, yeah, they're losing this type of control and it's adding to this like doubling down in what direction that they're going in. And you would think that for these, there's these apostles, Elder Holland, the church, the school that is, you know, a private university, but funded by taxpayer, sorry, not funded by taxpayers, some, somewhat funded by taxpayers, right? But funded by, by tithing payers. And, and they do get scholarship, like scholarships from the government for, for their students. Yeah. yeah. So they do have, they do have yeah. government money. Yeah. Absolutely. All of that. And it still is kind of all within this cult-like control of whatever the brethren say kind of goes, they can come in and give the kind of talks that Elder Holland gave and you know, ostracize, marginalize, and lead to all of the things that we've talked about in this without any kind of repercussions because they own the school, it's a private university, they get to say what they want to say. But I think that they are kind of showing their cards that they feel like they're losing control with that type of talk. And now with the doubling down of freshmen having a required reading of that talk. So if anyone wants to pull up the, the quotes, I'll have to find them in a second right now. But what do what do you remember, especially from that talk, that time period, and yeah, what Elder Holland said that was especially damaging to the queer community and students at BYU? Yeah, I mean, where did where do you even begin? I uh, it it was like August 2021, and I had just moved to uh, to Berkeley, California. It was, believe it or not, my first day of grad school of my PhD, already very stressful. And I get a text from my friend, Addison Jenkins. Shout out to Addison. He's He was a, a president of USGA for a long time, big LGBT advocate as well. And he just messaged me and said, Matt, I'm, I just heard about what Elder Holland said. I'm so sorry. Let me know if you're okay. And, you know, I'm about, I have my backpack on. I'm about to head to class and I'm like, like what the fuck this is, is he like talking long, about? This is long in your history, yeah, right? This was it's like two like... years ago. My like my my time has kind of ended. My my five minutes of fame and and quickly I um you know obviously get on and uh, on Twitter and it wasn't long before I found out that Elder Holland had just given the speech at BYU, which we talked about earlier today, and um, had all but mentioned me by name. I mean. Um, I'm a bit biased here, but I think it was pretty cowardly of him not to like if he's gonna if he's gonna reference me at least like be upfront about it be be uh, brave yeah. about it you know um but everybody knew he was talking about me and suddenly in that moment i'm like oh my well like first of all i'm in my phd i want to work with my professors in the future at byu are they even going to be allowed to talk to me anymore like they've just been reprimanded for their student um and then i think uh, oh oh my god like my family all of them are still big believers and their prophet just condemned what i did like, what is my family going to think? And it just, I mean, really quickly took me to a very dark place where I'm like, I, I just got called out by one of the only apostles that I like genuinely still liked. Who you I always quoted thought, in your speech. <laughs> so I always thought was kind of on our side or who was like empathetic and understanding. You know, if it had been Elder Oaks, I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. But to come from Elder Holland was just really heartbreaking. And um, so thankfully, thanks to Mormon stories, to Kara and John, I was able to fly out to Utah that weekend. So I got to be with my family. Um, we had a, a candlelight vigil. I got to go on Mormon stories, some different um, podcasts and and talk a little bit about how like horrific this speech was. Um, just not only calling me out, but the, the demand for musket fire, for violence. Um, you know, I mean, I don't think that Elder, he didn't explicitly say go and like physically attack queer people, but guess what happened the weekend he gave that talk? 
Queer people at BYU were physically harmed. There was a man just off campus, a BYU student, saying the F slur and throwing paint uh, at BYU at queer BYU students. And I wasn't mean, there a bunch of chalk drawings too that same weekend? Yes, and every weekend it got, or every night it got power. Washing. Yeah, and then every then people had to go and do it the same day. Yeah. And there was that video of a BYU student who came by with water bottles to yep. just all of these, you know, chalk drawings of encouraging messages for queer students. And then he comes over, said said the, the F slur and put some water to just erase it. And he's like, what are you going to do about it? And just, yeah. Horrific stuff. And you're like, you're like, I'm sorry, Elder Holland, like intentions aside, here are the receipts from, from the consequences of what you've said. And, and, and that's really hard to think when, when like they either, they realize that they're doing this and they don't care or that they're, they're purposefully being ignorant and, Either way is yeah. not not good. And Elder Holland, not only is he supposed to have, you know, spirit of discernment, the spirit to be able to speak on behalf of Jesus Christ. He also went to Yale. It's not like he's some he's a rhetorician. Uh, yeah. He's, a, yeah, he's, a, he's yeah, he's an intelligent guy who knows how his words are going to be coming across. And some people have kind of talked about the ways that he led into his speech was about how much he loves BYU. And this is like their last beacon of learning and having a college degree isn't like a necessary requirement to get into the kingdom of God. But if you're going to come here, I don't want this place to be, you know, sullied and uh, taken down by the ways of the world. I think that's kind of like how he led into his talk and that He's speaking directly to the faculty, right? In that talk. Exactly. And so with your intentions to teach these students, it was like he was saying, this is my baby. This is BYU. And people are writing in letters telling me that this university is too queer, not under my watch. And then led into saying that, you know, if people like, I won't name any names, but former Val Victorians (laughs) want to commandeer the mic to announce their sexuality, what will happen next sex with ducks on the stage like it's, yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. just this, this sad slippery slope argument that takes nothing into consideration about the actual queer experience and all you know, centering his uh, his apostolic feelings his worries donors feelings without actually taking into consideration what's on the line here Seriously. for these this kind of rhetoric rhetoric what is on the line here you have a choice to go one way or another yeah yeah, exactly. And and so I I, uh, I wrote a letter to Elder Holland. It was an open letter in the Tribune. Um, if you if you feel so inclined to read it, I, I would uh, love if you took a look at that. Um, but I also like sent it to him personally. And and basically, I, I really tried. I tried even still to meet him halfway. I'm like, I understand where you're coming from in these letters, but think about the letters I'm getting. Think about how many people um, are are driven to suicide because of things you're saying. And, and I'm, I'm so just glad that to you're able to write that. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, interestingly, my, my father, who is an active member, um, he also wrote a letter to Elder Holland. Um, he was pretty mad too. I think, uh, you know, it made, it made my mom cry. Uh, you know, it, it really hurt my parents to hear someone they loved say that. And, um, uh, and so Interestingly enough, Elder Holland did not respond to my letter, but he wrote a letter to my dad apologizing for hurting my mom's feelings. And and he yeah. told my dad, he said, keep going to church, keep paying your tithing. Um, and, and like, I'm sorry for making your wife cry. And that was nothing. Ne- never mentioned you. Never mentioned me. Never apologized for what he said. Never said that he didn't mean to like to, to hurt people this way or lead to these outcomes just admonishing my dad to continue being faithful. And I know, I know. Oh, and, and like part of the sad part, I think, I don't know. Um, I, I didn't, my dad didn't tell me about this. 
Um, and so I only found out like months later from my sister and I approached my dad and I said, can you show me this letter? Why did he say this? And my dad was pretty defense. I mean, you know, my dad's on my side, but he's still active Mormon. So he's very defensive. And he was like, this letter does, has nothing to do with you. It's about me and other Holland. You know, it just, I, I think even still. It has like, nothing to do with you? Yeah. Everything to do with you. Right, right. And so that, that, that was hard. It was really hard because it was impacting both my personal life with my family and like this macro community. You know, these, these people who are being affected by it and, and, you know, I hope Elder Holland knows and, 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 or Jeffrey Holland. And I want to tell you, Kara, more people have come to me and told me they've left the church because of the musket fire talk than any other thing that I've heard. I'm like, like li literally like dozens of people have said, mm -hmm. thank you for what you've done, Matt. The elder, the musket talk was the last straw was the last piece. Um, and, and that just goes to show like this, this like doubling down on, on hurting queer people on suppressing, um, uh, like human expression, it's not working. It's backfiring mm -hmm. and, and it's going to keep happening. They're, they're, they're going to lose the good compassionate people in their church and they already are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Perfectly said. Um, what do you think is going on with these kind of mixed messages between the different, like, you know, departments and inclusion that do come at BYU and there are these, you know, inclusive programs and things, and sometimes more, you know, liberal professors, let's say, but then if you remember the same like week or day that that talk came out, um, <laughs> BYU announced the office of belonging at the same exact time. And then the, the speech that we're talking about, that's going to be required reading for BYU freshmen next year, allegedly, yeah. um, that was, that's also part of like diversity curriculum. So what is up with these mixed messages at BYU? Gosh, Kara, I, I don't know. I mean, in it, like clearly to me, I think that the, the church has first and foremost money on their mind and they're big donors and um, they're, they're like higher ups in the officials and to make them happy, they've got to double down on like LGBTQ issues. They got to have musket fire talks. They've got to, uh, you know, make sure that nobody gets confused that, that whether or not queer people are welcome at BYU. Um, but then on the flip side, I do think that like people at BYU are good. I, I loved my professors. I loved the students I worked with. I, there are so many wonderful parts of the Mormon community and those parts are seeing that this is not good and they're advocating and pushing for change. So I do think my personal viewpoint is that BYU is facing this top-down pressure and this bottom-up pressure, and they're trying to appease both while, while I don't know, saving face for, for how they really feel. So I don't know, like this office of belonging and inclusion um, on the outside, it's, it's, it's exciting to hear about. Um, when I was at BYU, there was sort of the like beginning foundations of it. Um, so it wasn't officially an office, but they, there was like, there were two people who were working on like helping queer students. Um, so I went to one of their events, they passed around a list of professors that were like safe to talk to. And on every page it said, do not distribute, do not share like any, any screenshot or picture of this is used without consent. I mean, it had to be so secretive and, and people wanted to put, um, posters up and they couldn't even, they weren't allowed to put posters up around BYU. I mean, it was so like when I look at it now as someone who's proud to be gay and who's ex-Mormon, I think like that was the queer students at the table begging for crumbs and, and hoping for crumbs. And it's just not enough. And it's it's unacceptable that BYU thinks that that little things like this could be enough. There needs to be a radical change. 
Mm-hmm. Wow, man. That inclusion of uh, what professors that if you came out to them are safe. Like yes, that, that was kind in? of that was the like like uh like the uh intuition about it. They didn't expressly say that, but they said basically like they're not gonna turn you in if you say you're gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which again is like it's like a rebel force within BYU. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um I try not to talk too much about myself in interviews. I edited my interview a lot with Eve last night to edit out a lot of my story. But I do think that what you're saying is a good, like kind of nuanced idea about what BYU is because you expressed how much, you know, you did have a a good time in so many different ways. You liked your programs, your professors, you didn't want to move schools. There is definitely a community of people that could embrace you if they were allowed to without losing their jobs. So what happened, if you remember, after the, the... the talk came out and I remember there was a little bit of outcry from professors yeah. and I think some people might've quit or things like that. And specifically I was raised in Provo, Utah, right down the street from BYU. A lot of people in my ward oh. uh, worked there and I loved my ward growing up because we had some amazing, like more liberal professors, um, Mary Lee, who was an English professor and uh, Daryl Lee, who's a French professor basically like helped raise me. I'm the cool person you see today because yeah. of those people and anyone just taking classes from them would be like, oh, I get it now. And I talked to, yeah, various different people after that talk and asked them how they feel about it, how they feel about their position at BYU. But I know that it just caused some people uh, who had to reevaluate what their work environment and workplace would be after that talk. Because it was specifically to faculty members, you know, to to call them out, to, to be more hardline about not allowing this type of inclusion. So were you able to correspond with any professors or anything like that and 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 yeah, get any support? Or do you know of anybody specifically who left their job at BYU over that talk? Totally. Yeah. I, I know that there were several professors that left because of that talk, um, primarily from the humanities and social sciences. I know personally. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Not the religion department. Man. Yes. Um, you know, two of my my personal advisors and professors in the political science department, um, they left BYU and they told me that that. Wasn't the only reason, but in large part, they could not support an institution that treats LGBTQ people like that. Um, you know, and and so two of my personal advisors left. I I also know after the Elder Holland talk, like one just again to like highlight how amazing BYU is, their professors and, and their community is. Um, you know, it was, it was really rough for me. I got in a pretty dark mental place, and and three of my professors still at BYU, they DM'd me personally and they offered to pay for a year of my therapy. Wow. So I, I know. So like that part, I know that there are professors that know that it's wrong and know that it's not okay. And they're trying to help. And, and they're the same ones that told me about this new class that's like allegedly starting in the fall where it's it's like uh, uh, based from the Center of Diversity and Inclusion, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion. You just got here. This is yeah. what we're talking so th- about. So this is the new policy um, where it has not been officially announced. So I guess it's possible it will change, but I've, I've uh, got like, like personals, like from the source text messages about this just last week, that they're preparing to release and announce this and that on the curriculum will be Elder Holland's musket fire talk. And so that's why they reached out to me. They said, hey, like we're trying to get this taken off, um, but it looks like it's going to be on. And we just want to like, like give you a heads up because there will probably, you know, it will stir up some things. It's really nice because it does. I think that like, you know, I I understand that I've I've chosen to be in the spotlight and talk about this. And uh, it can be really difficult to talk about the hardest times of my life and to get that drudged up and brought back up consistently. Well, you know, while I'm still a grad student. It's it's not easy. So 
So yeah, so the from my understanding, like it looks like there's going to be a required course for every BYU student, and every student will have to read the Musket Fire talk, um, which just like to me is like, doesn't BYU? Doesn't the church know that that did not land very well? Pretty much, it's universally disliked that talk, and yet here they are wanting every student to read it to know exactly where their place is at BYU. And my concern, most most like importantly, is for queer students like myself. If, if I think back when I was 20 years old, fresh off my mission starting BYU, and I read that musket fire talk, I'd say, okay, there's no stepping out of line. There's no place for me. There is like, I shouldn't even accept support from people who are offering support because that's against the rules. I mean, it like I can see so easily how they're trying to stop like at the root any queer students from even like thinking about exploring or, or understanding themselves, which... In my mind, I like if I were to guess what will happen from that, students will just have to be more secretive about it, and they're gonna they're gonna find themselves in difficult situations that they can't get out of, uh, more mental health issues with even less resources to talk about it or to get help. Mm -hmm. So that's all really heartbreaking stuff and unbelievable that the church knows that it's so unpopular and it's had the reactions that it's had. Like it could not be more public. More people could not have left the church over that, over a single talk. And the fact that they're choosing to double down on it really speaks volumes, sadly, unfortunately, but yeah, all of that is super well said. And, um, one other thing I wanted to ask and please get in your super chats. Now I'll read the one on the screen in a second. Yeah. The, I'm trying to think of like, you know, what the possible counter arguments are to why BYU in the best faith situation would feel necessary to give that talk in the first place, have students read it. Is there any good faith interpretation to that type of talk where I, I'm assuming that a lot of students could, you know, possibly go look up what the counter arguments are to that talk and find videos like this or find your Mormon stories interview. And it could have a backfiring effect unless there's some good faith interpretation where they want people to read it and understand like maybe in their wildest dreams, they want students to feel like Elder Holland said this and there's good parts of it where he's talking about inclusion. <laughs> so <I'm> talking about <laughs> yeah. He's like, you know, nobody has wept over, uh, you know, the trials of gays more than me, you know, and like maybe in the best case circumstances, they're trying to find some type of empathetic spin while also like applauding their apostle at the same time. Do you think there's any good that could come out of this? At least from their perspective, we were trying to put on their brain of what they're trying to do here. I mean, like I could see in some ways it's like, okay, they're acknowledging that this is a topic we cannot ignore anymore, right? Like we have to address the gay elephant in the room um, because they've just tried to ignore it for so long. And so maybe this is their attempt at saying, hey, listen, we know that there are gay people at BYU. But then, you know, in the same pairing, they're saying, and we're not going to let them express anything or show any support at all. So just, just tears <laughs> over that we feel empathy for you. Yeah. But and and please don't out, wear rainbows. You can't, yeah. Yeah. You can't put any supportive chalk signs on the sidewalks. Like the amount of like non-inclusion on a day-to-day -day basis of what you have to live under. No amount of like, I cry about your experience yeah. from Elder Holland's lips can change all of this trauma, all of the scrupulosity, all of this anxiety, suicidal ideation, like the nice words aren't really going to make a big difference from what you have to live day to day, but completely. completely. And, I, and I think, I mean, it also, I think is a sign that they're like, we're staying firm on this fall in line or get out. You know, it's as much a signal to the faculty as it is to the students, just as it was originally intended for a speech for the faculty. 
Um, and, and, you know, for me, it's, it's pretty disappointing. I think that if BYU really, and the church by extension, accepted that this was an issue and it's not going away, maybe they could provide some like real solutions. So instead of having everyone read a talk that makes homophobes feel good and queer people like hate themselves, why don't you use the office to say, all right, you think you're gay? You think you're leaving the church? Well, here's how to transfer. Here's how we can help you. You know, here's if, you know, here are resources you can have. If they really don't want people being gay and they don't want people like me exploring while we're at BYU, then like be open and frank about it and be honest. But they, from my perspective, I don't think they want to do that because then they would have to accept that they're not a welcoming campus. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. And they, that's the last thing they want to say because they need to say that, you know, Jesus loves everybody, but their actions, their words, their policies show you anything but them being a welcoming campus. So yeah. um, real quick, if you haven't clicked the like button yet, it's super free and yes. the subscribe button even more. <laughs> I don't know which corner. <laughs> uh, everyone in the chat is in love with you, Matt, as we oh, all are. I, I just want to read a couple super chats. Thank you guys so much. I need them to survive. Catherine wrote, thanks for the five bucks, but she wrote, uh, thank you for moving the needle forward in the queer LDS space. The musket talk was the start of me openly criticizing wow. the church. My leaders hate it. Catherine, that's awesome. Yeah. And you are not alone. You, 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 so many other people are like you that, that, uh, we're empowered by that talk, not in the way that it was intended, but I'm I'm really grateful for you. Thank you, Catherine. Yeah, yeah they did not see that coming. There was no prophesy <laughs> of what would happen. Right. Richard, yes. appreciate you for the 10 thanks, bucks. Richard. Oh, thanks. And thanks for the 20 bucks, Miss oh. Honeychurch. I so enjoy your content. Matt is such a charming guest. Oh, thank you. Well, tell Kara to have me on again next yeah, time. I'm tell in Matt <laughs> that he needs to move to Utah and come just yes, co-host with me. <laughs> he lives right down the street, too. I, she lives in the neighborhood I grew up in, which is yeah. crazy. So it worked perfectly. Um, and and Kara, I just want to say. I'm so proud of what you've done. I mean, I know that TikToks of Nuance, Nuance Ho from 2020, so many of my friends left had their awakening because of you. Really? You are creating this like amazing space and empowering other creators to do the same. I'm like, you, you are like so empowering as well. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for supporting Kara. I'm, yeah. I'm going to go give a super chat when I get home. I'm like, this is great. <laughs> Don't you dare. No. Yeah, no, um, I've got to now. Right? This is such an honor to have you in town and to be able to do this and break this yes. news and to have a, a, a reason, unfortunately, for people to be able to share Matt's story. But I told Matt, uh, I've listened to a lot of Mormon stories interviews. I know a lot of queer people and his story is just it's so insane and sad, but he does such a good job telling it. And yeah. I'm so happy that you uh, came over to share this with me. So I'm just been honored that... Yeah, under under the unfortunate circumstances, yes. but still, it's an important thing to to tell your story and get that out there and hopefully validate people in the audience. Absolutely, absolutely. Hopefully Thank those you, BYU yes. students will will type the type once they get that talk in their curriculum. Yes, come yes. to this video. If you're watching this in, uh, the in the fall, yeah, when you're in that class, your thoughts about like what the fuck is this? You're not <laughs> wrong. You are not wrong. Um, keep keep thinking critically, and uh, when you're ready, we'll help you whatever you need. Exactly. I always want to put that out there. That if people are struggling with those things, please know that you're not alone. So if there's any last comments that you want to say of, you know, what you wish that you could have told yourself and any other last messages of what you hope and wish for the queer community within and outside of the Mormon church. And then I guess we can let the people go, but don't leave yet. Cause Matt's got some adorable parting oh. words. I'm sure that he's going to come up with right now. No. Yeah. I think Time and again, if I could talk to myself back at BYU, you know, seven years ago, 
eight, eight years ago. Oh my God. I would say, um, like, man, you're not alone. You know, they, they win when they make us think that we're crazy and that we're wrong and that we're all by ourselves. And the reality is that we are not, that there are so many people thinking what you're thinking, feeling what you're feeling and that it's, it's real and it makes sense. And you should follow your heart. Um, don't, I guess I would tell myself, don't get caught up in trying so hard to be something that you're not. And that if, if there is a God, if there is a Jesus, I would believe that they would want me to be exactly who I am. And that's what I'm going to be. And if they don't, well, fuck them. <laughs> so that's, those are my words. Um, Kara, thank you again. I love you, so, you much. so much. Kara is a, is a dear friend of mine, even outside the, uh, the podcast and, and TikTok space. So thanks. Kara. Yeah. It's easy when you have such a charismatic, adorable, hilarious, oh. handsome, <laughs> famous ex-Mormon no. friends like Maddie over here. He's on the, are you still on the five husbands vodka? Oh, I, I am not. No, I was on last year, but yes, I was featured on the five husbands vodka. You can still buy my bottle up at Ogden's own distillery in Ogden. Um, so go buy a bottle, tell them that you know me, maybe they'll give you a dollar or two off. And um, yeah, have have a vodka pineapple from Five Husbands Vodka. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It all name. came around. <laughs> and watch Mormon No More streaming on Hulu. Yeah. Exactly. And I bought an entire case of your vodka when you went you up did. to your party. You and that did. either means I love you and support you or I'm yes. an alcoholic. Yes. My parents went with the latter. I went with the former. <laughs> Both can be true. Yeah, <laughs> no. um, my parents literally saw it on the floor and they're they were like, are you an alcoholic? I thought I was going through a <laughs> bottle of vodka day. I'm like, I just want to always no. have that space on Stop. bottles of alcohol yeah. in my house. So obviously I'm going to do that. Yeah. Let me read a couple more super chats for, that are coming Please in. Do. Hermit, so, thanks for the 10 bucks. Oh, thank you, Hermit. There's a Nevermo trans queer. I'm cheering you on. I'm cheering you on. Thank you. That is so amazing. Wow. Like trans rights are human rights. Um, you're valid. And, and anyone who thinks otherwise they're wrong. <laughs> and and I do not support them. So I was trying to find my mask that I wore during COVID. And I was like, if I have to wear a mask, I'm going to be as liberal and weird yes, as I can. So yes. I, have, I have this really cute trans rights or human rights mask. I love it. I, I, love around it. Here. Yes. I went right there that has, uh, did you see that one that says Scrooge McDuck? Oh, yes, I do. It says eat the rich. And it has Scrooge <laughs> McDuck the on rich. it. Anyway. So trans funny. rights or human yes. rights. They are 100%. Um. Doug Vincent, love the show. Oh, Appreciate I love it. it too. It's so we good. Cool. We were a good time together. Yeah. Um, wish we can talk about um, less traumatic things next time mm -hmm. we hang out. Maybe next time I come, I'll bring a bottle of vodka and we can do a QA, take a shot. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. On Zelf. I did that on Zelf. Was yeah. <laughs> you making out with Tanner at the end? Oh, I did. Oh, can we invite them again? I want to make out with Tanner again. That was great. <laughs> and Aaron's just downstairs. <laughs> He's just downstairs. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Aaron's a little bit too straight for that, but not for Matt. Right? Uh, not for yeah. Matt. Oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, is, do you want people to follow you? Is anywhere else? Oh, yes, people can please do. To, reach please. out if they need to. Yeah, anything. Follow me on Instagram at it's Maddie two seven I T S M A T T Y two seven or on X, formerly Twitter. It's uh, uh, Maddie Easton M A T T Y E A S T O N. I'm also on TikTok, uh, Maddie Easton. Um, yeah. So let's let's get connected. I'd love to hear more about your stories. If you need like uh, even just someone to talk to, I'm happy to do that. And uh, next time I'm in Salt Lake, come come out dancing with Kara and I. Yeah, I started my nonprofit, you know, and part of it that is I want to have as much community outreach and yes. community things as possible. So next time you come out, we should plan a party for anybody who wants to come out and meet that. Kara is very good at karaoke. For, really? for what you know, yeah, we've done karaoke before and, and Kara was pretty fun. So uh, yeah, well, maybe we'll have to do that, a little karaoke meetup. 
Woo. Well, now <laughs> yeah. people are anticipating. I know. <laughs> um, you guys know where to link. I'll, I'll leave your socials down linked below. Please do. Yeah. But I um, appreciate you guys for tuning into this live stream. Matt has got to run now. You guys know where to support this channel down yeah. below. Every donation means so much to me. Thank you guys for tuning in. And happy new year. Happy yeah. new year. Bye. Bye.